heights to the depths of the sea. And Joab sent to Tekoa, which is、um, south of Jerusalem, and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, "Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel, and do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. And go to the king and speak to him in this manner." So Joab put the words in her mouth. Exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester, with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David was obviously troubled by his estranged relationship with Absalom. Joab, David's chief general, noticed this and decided to do something to bring David and Absalom back together. Joab was very loyal to David and figured that it was dangerous to have Absalom stewing away in a distant country, and felt that the safest thing to do was to bring about reconciliation between father and son. Joab decided to soften David's heart towards Absalom by bringing a widow before him with a similar story of estrangement from her son. Now let's listen to Pastor Rob as he continues our journey through the book of Second Samuel. We talk about heterosexual fornication and how wrong that is too, but nobody wants to haul you away for that, right? Anyway, I digress. So. It came to pass, verse thirty. While they were on their way, the king's sons they they flee, they get out of there, and news came to David, saying, "Absalom has killed all the king's sons." Wow, sounds like our mainstream media taking one event and just blowing it way out of proportion, full of lies. All the king's sons have dead, and not one of them is left. And at this point, based on what God had told David, that prophecy that the sword would never depart from your house. He's probably thinking to himself, "This is it." He hears the news and he's already absorbing it. He's already saying, "Okay, this is what God said. He's he's doing it, and it's just going to crush me again. I lost my firstborn son from Bathsheba because of my sin. Now I'm going to lose all my sons because of my sin." And I bet David was just going, "Oh God, I am guilty of all this. You have the right to take whatever you want." Take my life. I think at that point David was just laying prostrate on the ground and just saying, "Lord, do with me whatever you want to do. Crush me if you want to crush me." So the king arose. Notice verse thirty-one, and he tore his garments and he lay on the ground again, laying prostrate on the ground, just totally blown away, totally at the end of himself. And all of his servants stood by with their clothes torn. And remember the prophecy that God had spoken to him: the sword shall never depart from your house. So David is assuming. And then Jonadab, notice, remember, Jonadab was Amnon's cousin, or this is David's nephew. He comes. Remember this young man who gave Amnon that evil, twisted 
plot to rape his, you know, for Amnon to rape his sister. Jonadab, the son of Shimea, or Shama is his name, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. What a turncoat this man is. He gives the plot to Ammon, and now he's just ingratiating himself to the king. Let me tell you what really happened. Only Amnon is, uh, is dead. The rest of them, and David's probably going, oh, that's such good news. I'm glad that all my sons aren't dead. And this turncoat, Jonadab, slippery individual, an opportunist again. There's a lot of those in the Bible. Now therefore, verse 33, let not my lord the king take this thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. And notice in verse 34, then Absalom, he fled, and the young man who was weeping, or keeping watch, excuse me, lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And so now the the scene changes back to Jerusalem, and David sees that his sons are coming back. And Jonadab, verse 35, said to the king, look, the, the, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. And so it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and they wept, and also the king and all of his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom, he fled, and he went to Telmei, the son of Ahihud, excuse me, king of Jeshur, and David mourned for his son every, every single day. Now, why did Absalom flee to Jeshur? Jeshur is... If you were to go from Jerusalem and go up about at least 70 miles, at least maybe, maybe a little more, to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee, that area up there is called Geshur, Jeshur. And notice how clever Absalom was. Think of where it was that he killed Amnon. Seven miles away from where the king lived, he held this feast there. Why did he hold it there? I mean, I'm certain there was a reason, but it also gave him an advantage, didn't it? Because he knew that after he killed Amnon, he would have at least a day's, a day's um, advantage to flee to Telmei, the king of, uh, the, of Jeshur. And why Jeshur? Because guess what? That's his grandfather. Remember, David married a woman, and her father was this very king. And so Tamar and Absalom, they both have their grandfather up in the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. So Absalom flees up there for refuge. And so Absalom fled. He went to Jeshur and was there, notice, three years. He was there three years. Perhaps, and and notice what it says in verse 39, And King David longed to go to Absalom, even though what he knew was wrong, and even though this was a heinous crime, David still had love for his firstborn son. I don't think we can quite understand that Love that a man in this culture would have for his firstborn son. 
It was a very significant thing, your firstborn son, the very first of your strength, the very first, the one who would inherit all that you have. Your line is continued through that firstborn son. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of desire there. And so David is longing for Absalom. There's an old proverb that says, absent makes the heart grow fonder. Isn't that true sometimes? And perhaps David thought how he might have been responsible somehow for all of this had he dealt with this issue from the beginning correctly. Maybe things would have been different, but now his son has fled. And again, when we look back at 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophecy, the sword shall not depart from your house, that begins to take shape. And it's not done yet. But there's also verses 11 and 12 that God spoke concerning David. And notice what he says. This is uh, chapter 12, verse 11. It says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And now we're going to see Absalom taking the reins, and now he's going to seek to overthrow his father. There's going to be a period where he is going to be, um, uh, he's going to be in exile in a sense, and he's going to come back. But he's going to take over. His heart is going to take over. And he's going to seek to overthrow his father. And what did the Lord say? I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. We're going to see that meted out in chapters to come. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And that would actually come to pass. For you did it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel, before the son. And what an awful thing to happen. So chapter 14, let's read it. It says, so Joab, remember Joab was the nephew of David. David, King David had a sister named Zeruiah. And she gave birth to three sons. Joab was one of them. And Joab now is the commander of David's army. And so Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom and Joab sent to Tekoa, which is um, south of Jerusalem, and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel and do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead and go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. So Joab now is going to encourage this woman, this wise woman, to engage in deceit. And I wonder how wise she was to listen to a man. Of course, she's listening to Absalom, who's the heir apparent now. And so she's listening to him. And I find it interesting that the last story or the last parable that was spoken to David, and she's going to give to David, she's going to speak to him a parable that's going to draw David out. It's going to expose his hypocrisy. Do you remember that happening before? When Nathan came to David initially, after a year, a year after his relationship with Bathsheba, a year after Uriah's death, Nathan comes to him and he says, remember the the parable about the lamb? And Nathan said, you're the man, David. You're the one who stole that you lamb, that one lamb, and you sacrificed it for your neighbor. 
And so David's going to hear another parable, and it's going to bring him conviction. I find it also interesting that the Lord brought this woman of Tekoa, this wise woman. And I think there's something really important for, for us in this, and that if we don't deal with our own issues, our own sin, God can and often does bring somebody else into our life if we are unwilling to confess it. If we're unwilling to deal with it privately, God can and has and does expose things out for everyone to see. He would much rather deal with us privately and quietly because if your idea about God is just this angry old man in the, in the universe who just can't wait for you to mess up so he can judge you, then you don't understand the nature of God at all because that is not his heart. He weeps over when we sin. He weeps over those who sin. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not his will that any should die. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. That is who God is. That's what the Bible says who God is. And God is plenteous in mercy, mercy and compassion. That is his character. But because he loves us, there is a time when he says, if you are not going to deal with this, I have to bring this out. It's like a festering wound. Why are you walking around like the walking wounded when all you've got to do is come to me and confess it? And be rid of it. Be done with it. Make retribution. Do whatever you've got to do. Ask for forgiveness. Get this thing out. That's how a wound heals, isn't it? Sometimes that wound, that pus and that boil that's growing on your ankle, it has to be lanced before it can get better. It has to be lanced. It has to be wounded so that it can begin to heal again. Are you willing to do that? Or are you just going to say, no, I'm going to take this to the grave? Well, good luck with that because you're going to die an old man and an old woman. You're going to be very angry and very disposed, deposed. Do you want to live like that? Do you want to live to the end of your days having that over your head? I don't. I want to have a clear record In fact, I would encourage you, before you go on your pillow tonight, before you lay your head down, make amends tonight. Before you lay your head on that pillow, you say, God, I have been secretly doing this, or I have have did something in my past, and I've never asked you to forgive me. Make it right tonight. Ask for the forgiveness, and do whatever he wants you to do. He may not have you do anything, but he may say, you know what, I want you to go to that young lady that you hurt. He may say that. And you say, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. Maybe she works with you in your your workplace. Maybe back when you were a teenager, you did some inappropriate things, and maybe you hurt her feelings. Maybe you broke her heart, and she works right in your division. Would God have you go up to her someday and just say, you know what? I am so sorry for the way I took advantage of you. I was so wrong. Would you please forgive me? I was so wrong. You did nothing wrong. It was all me. Would you forgive me? And to have her look and say, you know what? I've been waiting for that all my life. And then to have her give her heart to Christ. You just never know what's going to happen. Do it. Tonight. Don't let another day go before you get things right. Because if you don't, 
your growth and your walk with God is going to be stunted. It's going to be walking around like with a peg leg. You're going to be stunted. Get it right tonight. Don't be like David. Don't be like Absalom. Notice, and when the woman of Tekoa, she spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and she prostrated herself and she says, help, O king. And So now she's involved with this deceit now. And then the king said to her, what troubles you? And she answered, indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons. And here's the parable. She speaks to him. And I, I can imagine David's going, oh, here we go again. The last time I heard a parable, I got busted. And he's going to get busted again. <laughs> Because he did nothing. Notice. Your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and he will... And, and we will destroy the air also, so they would extinguish my ember that is left, she said, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. And then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And so the king said to her, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. And then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son also. And notice what David said. Underline this. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Notice the mercy, the clemency. And therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to the Lord my king. And he said, Say on. So the woman said, Why then have you schemed? So, <laughs> can you hear this? This is just like Nathan when he said, You're the man. And, and now he's going, Oh my gosh, not this again. What did I? And David is just waiting for it. He opened himself. He just stuck his foot in his own mouth. She says, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. Yeah, you can tell me that you're going to you know, be lenient to my, my son who killed my other son, but you won't even bring your son home and deal with it. David, in a sense, what are you doing? Everyone around you is wanting to and understand that justice should be happening here, and, and, and you, you know, you've been forgiven much. Why don't you forgive your son? Why don't you bring him back? What a hypocrite. That's really what she's saying. For the king speaks as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we shall surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he advises me, or He devises means, excuse me, so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your, and your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, and boy, you can, you just, she's just pouring it on. And David, I can imagine here, is just feeling, oh my goodness, I'm already feeling convicted. Now she's t 
saying that I'm like the angel of God. <laughs> I mean, David, I mean, how, how much worse could it be? You know, he's already wallowing in his own pity, and now she's pouring this out, and he's just like, oh, good grief. Help, Lord. Yeah, that's a good prayer, by the way. Help, Lord. If you don't know that prayer, I would encourage you to learn it. Help, Lord, is a very good prayer. I say it often. Help, Lord. Nehemiah did that when he stood before Ahasuerus. Help, Lord. <laughs> Help, Lord. That's a great prayer. Simple to the point, and God knows what you need. Say it. I need it often. I'm always saying, Help, Lord, with a capital H. So then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please, let my Lord, let my Lord the king speak. And so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? Ah, yes. And I love the integrity of this woman. She doesn't continue with her, she doesn't continue with her subterfuge. She, She owns it. She owns it. Listen to her, what she says. And he said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? And the woman answered and said, as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that the lord the king has spoken. Again, buttering up again. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done these things. But my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, all right, this is his nephew, right? He's the commander of the army. He looks at Joab and he goes, all right, I have granted you this thing. Go, therefore, and bring the young man Absalom. And then Joab fell to the ground before the king on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and he made this journey again, at least an 80-mile journey north of the Galilee to the east. Joab arose and he went to Jeshur and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let me let him see my face. Very interesting. Yes, bring him back in proximity, but I don't want to see him. Is David really, think about how, how much David has been forgiven. Has David been forgiven much? And now he's holding this grudge against his own son who's only done half of what David has done. He's only committed murder. He hasn't done adultery that we know of yet. So Absalom returned to his own house, but he did not see the king's face. Now David loved Absalom, and it makes you wonder why he didn't want to see his face. Maybe perhaps out of justice. Maybe he felt shameful that he didn't do what he should have done to Amnon. Maybe Amnon would still be alive had David done the right thing as a parent to confront his son. Maybe he was feeling a little pensive because now his son is showing more leadership or at least more willingness to do what's supposed to be done rather than his father. And David now is wounded because of his own moral choices in his life, this is a very this is a low ebb period for David. And, and by the way, he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms during this period that we all benefit from. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.